Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we used to revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, and a podcast in which we now revisit pivotal moments of comics of the 90s that were kind of informed the Morrison arc, but also were kind of informed by. And this intro still needs a lot of work, but we're... A bit wordy. It's a bit is, wordy. It's an exploratory <laughs> phase. We're all growing as people. I'm John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc., and I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And I figured, like, if anybody's still listening at this point, then it's like they've been with us through, you know, it's like, um, I'm not making any concessions for new listeners, if that makes sense. I'm hoping they would start from the beginning. Yeah, I don't, you know, I think starting with when we're actually, you know, final night, you could do before you do the Morrison run we'll spoil things from the Morrison run but I think this would be a anything else would be a weird jumping on point though but if 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 this is your first episode go back and listen to the last one that was part one of final night and then when we finished final night go back and listen to everything else we've ever done because um we're, we're just that good basically yeah we're worth the time oh, the God. investment yeah we're, we're just that good and we are trading off the kudos and talent that led to these original stories in the first place uh but yeah so we're we're officially now uh well into the kind of weird hinterland of of the show you know we're 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 finding our feet and working out where we stand uh and we have a bit of i guess kind of housekeeping to do before we dive into this week's episode yes we do well, do we want to start with something um, maybe a little lighter, PJ? You, you've you recently been to Thought Bubble. Yeah, as as we record this, uh, I am a week on from venturing uh, up to Harrogate, which is a lovely town. I absolutely loved staying there. Uh, for the Thought Bubble comic convention, the, the basically the only independent show that seems to still be going and is worth doing, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's funny in itself, isn't it? Because what do we what do we mean by like independent nowadays? Well, the the focus is the independent books. Oh, you that's true. There are some big name creators there. Like this year, they had Gail Simone, Kieran Gillen. I mean, Kieran Gillen's a thought bubble every year, but he's basically propping up a bar every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had uh, James Tinian the Fourth. Um, I think Scott Snyder was there. You know, some some big names from America that you do get at Thought Bubble every year. But they are almost always vastly outnumbered by the indie books and just independent creators trying to sell their wares. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's very much not, uh, you know, you think like, oh, it's 
it's a it's a more kind of community run convention you'd kind of be forgiven for thinking that like oh does that mean it's in like a basement or it's like uh no. being run in the lobby of like a holiday inn or something it's like no no it's a big it's a big affair uh and it's been going a long time like well i mean it was there when we got into making comics and that was over a decade ago it's it's definitely been around i want to say a good 12 or 13 years okay. um yeah that makes sense and- I know it started as a one-day event in one big hall in Leeds, and then it became a two-day event in a big hall in Leeds, and then it became a two-day event in two big halls in Leeds, and then it became a two-day event in two big halls and a big tent in Leeds. <laughs> and it it just keeps growing. Yeah, and, and there's like a it, week, there's like a week, a week's worth of like arcs activities around the town yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and eventually sort of outgrew Leeds. There wasn't a space big enough for it, but Harrogate has this... My first time going to it since it's been in Harrogate. The convention centre there is huge. Now, uh, yeah, Nick and I went last year, and we uh, did not go this year because we did not even know the application window was open. We missed it entirely. (laughs) Well, that's it. I really enjoyed it this year because I didn't apply for a table. I didn't particularly want to. But I did want to just go to the convention, but not being tied to the table, being able to wander around and then just leave, wander around Harrogate a bit. I'll go back to the convention now. Oh, it's like half four and I'm really tired. I'm just going to go to my hotel room and have a lie down, actually, you know. (laughs) I loved it. It Great weekend. (laughs) It's a weird weird series of... uh, The the venue, and I'm assuming it's in the same place it was last Mm. year. Uh, You can maybe confirm this, PJ. It's a little unusual in that it keeps going. Yes. Like you you enter the hall and then there's a door at the back and you go through that door and it's like Narnia because then there's like another room and then there's another door leading to another room and it just just keeps expanding. And the rooms are all massive. Yeah. One of them on its own is is a pretty good sized convention hall. I think the weirdest thing is that by the time you get to like the final hall or what i think of as the final hall for there could have been like 10 more for all i know kind of like stacked like russian dolls but um you it's got that weird vibe where like it's a good size but if you look up at the ceiling i'm kind of wondering like is this like a weird between space between buildings which has been kind of like um roofed off or something and and they're just kind of like absorbed into the into the convention complex what I did like about it is that the third space you met, which is the last one you reach to, you get to when you're walking the hall, that's where they put the big names. So you have uh, to walk through all uh, the other halls and all the other tables to get to the big name creators, which I think is a, a really shrewd move on behalf of the event organizers there. Now, it was um, when we, now, historically, like Thought Bubble, you know, always a really fun show. It's always in November. So. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the UK at least, uh, it's cold, it's dark. Um, And so my memories of Thought Bubble have always been uh, finishing work on a Friday, uh, back when we have a day job, and then getting in a car and and hitting the motorway. And if you're very lucky, it only taking five hours. (laughs) Uh, That's from Cheltenham. You, and now it's in Harrogate, which is slightly further, and you, PJ, were coming from Cardiff. So what, what was your journey like? Pretty good, to be honest. We had a little bit of queuing on one of the motorways, but I think it only took us about four and a half hours to get there in the end. Oh, so, nice. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, we were happy. We left at... Well, I say four and a half hours. That's not including stops, you know, mm. in, including stops and everything. We had to 
take our car to get it. We left the house at midday, but we had to get a tire changed on the car and everything on our way. So with all of that, Uh-oh. we didn't we didn't get to our B and B until six. But it was a pretty good journey, to be fair. Did you travel on the Friday? Sorry. Yes. Cool. 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 Nice. So did you uh, did you tear it up on the dance floor uh, on the Saturday night? No, uh, <laughs> I am not really one for tearing it up on the dance floor these days. They. This is the one thing I think they do need to look at for Thought Bubble is the party is in the Hilton Hotel Mm. and one, there's no real options for food in there. Whereas when they were in Leeds, it was in the Trinity Kitchen, which has loads of food stalls in it as well as all the drinks and all the space. But this place, they just basically had two rooms, one of which was the music room, which was incredibly loud. Oh, really? It always was. Had a bar in it, but yeah, you could hear it from it. And then they had what they designated a quiet room, which wasn't that big, had like four chairs in it maximum, and that everyone went to because the music was too loud in the other room. So it was no longer a quiet room. (laughs) And I think they need to rethink the organization of the party. Uh, Now we're in Harrogate. But, you know, that is a small blot on what is otherwise an excellent event that I absolutely love well that's my only that again that's one of my only issues with thought bubble is that um because it's a kind of the place to be on a saturday night is the party you know it's kind of like you know why wouldn't you be there there's always Mm. that fear of missing out when you're like i would just like to go somewhere a little quieter and and i've got to say like as as the years have gone on and like um my general stamina has kind of like diminished. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm, I want to, it's this frustration where it's like, I really want to see people. I want to hang out with people and connect. And obviously we've been like behind a table all day, but then at the same time, I also kind of really want to sleep. And, yeah. it's, and it's hard to kind of tick both those boxes. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. We, we left the party quite early in the end. Uh, my wife and I <laughs> uh, went, went back to our B and B went to bed and we were, quite happy then on the sunday when we didn't have hangovers and <laughs> but again we were able to we we went into town we had some breakfast we we went and got a coffee we wandered around a lovely little park that we'd found then we went to the convention then we left and went and had lunch went back to the convention and then we went well we've kind of done everything should we just leave now and get on the road and yeah go go home mm. we didn't have to wait for the convention to close and pack all our stuff up it was great <laughs> That's part of the problem. It's like you you need a reason to be in a place where it isn't a convention. You know, so mm. like you could have all the people there, but you don't have the stress of having to run a show. Because yeah, it's like um I you never get the chance to see everybody you want to see. And no. you know, even even you know, whether you're there as a punter or whether you're there as a uh uh running a table, you know, and it's it's uh you just want like somebody to throw a convention without any of the uh, members of the public. <laughs> Actually, no, I think we're describing a party. We want someone to throw a party. Well, you did a, a convention without any of the members of the public one year, John, and like, it was all panels. And <laughs> uh, that, that is true. That is true. And uh, haven't done it again, which is not to say that there was anything wrong with it, but it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to ask people to travel to. Um, in fact, I'm thinking about it, PJ, because there was a bit of a gap where we oh god was it i'm trying to think it might actually have been the last time i saw you in person was a thought bubble yes it, it would i think it was thought bubble 2018 is the last time we saw it because i didn't go 
to the 2019 one. I can't think of any other conventions in 2019 that we were both at. Um, and then the pandemic hit us in 2020. So Was 2018 the last one in leagues? Uh, no. 20, wait, was 2019 in Leeds? I didn't I go to the... Tw- well, it was certainly the last one I remember. Because I remember going to Vaughan in 2018. They had big, uh, big kind of marquees in the town centre. Yeah, they did that, I think, in 2017 and 2018 in Leeds. We ended up missing a couple because we missed the 2017 one because it was Nick and Ali's wedding. Mm. And then I saw you in 2018. I have a feeling, he said, that I missed the 2019 one for some reason. Well, we I definitely did because it was only a couple of weeks after my wedding. And That's a good like, excuse. Wedding, honeymoon, I'm too tired. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I think we had a table booked for 2020. Which obviously they postponed our booking until 2021. Mm. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And then that's when Nick and I went last year, and then of course we completely missed this year because we didn't know the applications were open. Because I guess technically we hadn't made an application for like two or three years. They just kind <laughs> of transferred our booking during COVID. So yeah, yeah sadly. Hey, I tell you what though, um, I had a fun experience that weekend. Yeah, uh, Nick. Um, well, here's the thing: big punch. Uh, we we uh, we didn't get into football because we didn't apply, and we didn't get into MCM MCM Birmingham, which was happening the same weekend. Uh, for I don't know, just kind of inscrutable reasons of 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 MCM. Um, but Nick, uh, my colleague. He uh, he got himself uh, a, a, a little uh, dealer booth area just for his solo RPG, Colossal. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was just going to... Him and Ali were going to go on their own. It wasn't like a big punch affair. You know, I was just looking forward to a quiet weekend. And uh, I get a message from Nick uh, about half nine on Friday morning. <laughs> it just says, John, I screwed up. I was like... Wait, what do you mean? He goes, it's a three-day con. I was like, oh, and where are you right now? He's like, I'm at home. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I was literally like, okay, let me have a very quick shower, and then I'll be on the road with you. So we ended up, um, I ended up spending a day at MCM on Friday. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> just... Uh, literally trying to set up when they've um closed all the setup doors and uh, yeah. you have to kind of fight your way through um through members of the public which was fun it was an experience i think we we eventually had his table set up by 3 p.m i want to say <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah we also lost the car for a bit like oh, um, no. yeah we parked at the nec uh got the bus to the centre so that we could um, go get the passes and, and, and get all the paperwork sorted and then um, tried to find our way back to the car and realised we had no idea where it was. Uh, so <laughs> we were we were not at our best that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> it got better. It was that weird thing with uh, Thought Bubble and MCM Birmingham being on the same weekend because we, when we were driving back, our route takes us past Birmingham. Oh, of course. And we had to do a couple of stops once we got past Birmingham. And every so often we'd be in services and there'd be a cosplayer and we'd go MCM or Thought Bubble. No idea. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's like that coming back from MCM London. 
because mm. um, we uh, we go we drive around London because you'd have to be mad to drive through it. I know because I've yes. done that in previous yep. years. Yeah, so I've done it before as well. <laughs> oh, Satnav's telling me to go through London. Yeah, why not? Oh God, this is why. <laughs> well, we ended up. Uh, we always stop at like South Mims services on the M25 as we go around London, and that's like that feels like the first safe harbour after leaving the show because <laughs> you know we we kind of drive up exhausted it's noisy it's smelly we just want some food and a, and a, and a coffee and of course you see the dregs of like the other survivors like the cosplayers or mm. the few other exhausting looking exhibitors but um <laughs> yeah that's like a nice little kind of tradition now <laughs> oh i haven't done a london show for years i really should, should are... try and get the one it's weird there aren't that many now. Well, no, it's MCM, really, when I say yeah. a London show. Although there was, what was the one? There was one this weekend, just gone, um, yesterday, like, it's wasn't not, there? It's not film and Comic-Con, is it? Like I'm London. not sure. Yeah. It might have been. I know there were a lot of Doctor Who people there. So. It's funny, like, we were, we were chatting with um, a friend at MCM Birmingham, and um, they were share. a few people now have independently shared some horror stories about London film and Comic-Con. Uh, okay different beast i've never done one actually it's a different company but generally people complaining about the organization and you know lack of you know classic things like the indie people being shoved in a back room no one being able to find them that sort of thing uh, the usual yeah the usual well we know our place don't we pj you know we do <laughs> we do it's up north in harrogate <laughs> yes quite <laughs> just a shame it's so far away i appreciate yes. For the benefit of our American listeners, that complaining about a five-hour drive <laughs> yeah. is a bit weak. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas for our, our US listeners, it's like two days if you want to get from coast to coast, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, and that's if you don't stop. Yeah, we're we're sorry for like we're we're talking maybe like 150 miles. Like yeah. we we really shouldn't be, you know. But but again, it's 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 just like our weird road networks here are not really cut out for traveling any kind of distance like no. um uh we were at um tabletop gaming live in september with our card game and uh nick and i tried to drive up on the friday and i kid you not like this is where this is like the 21st century uh everybody was directed off the motorway because there was a uh like a, a hold up and a big queue and we ended up going down a one like a country lane like a like a one lane country road with like high banks of trees and grass hugging the car on either side, it was absurd. It was absolutely absurd, and it it, that, took, that, it took forever. That happened to us uh, in twenty eighteen, getting up to Thought Bubble. We'd uh, myself and my wife were giving a mutual friend of ours, Joe Glass, a lift. So we were we drove to him first to pick him up and his stuff, which meant we were coming out of Wales from a different location to where we normally would. Oh, so the sat-nav took us a very different route. And yeah, there were a few country lanes there. It was like, why are we going this way? This is where this is where you see a very surly side of John. Because I'm like, it generally, I think I present quite like an affable, outgoing personality. And then it's like, when I'm just like effing and blinding and cursing in the car, because I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Why is it, you know, in this day and age, in this day and age, I'm sitting in a country lane watching like an articulated lorry do a three-point turn in a ploughed field. It's absurd. Oh, my wife had to get out of the car and shoe some sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say your wife had to get out of the car because of your, because of your like language, because you were just like swearing so much. Oh no, she swears just as much as me. Oh sure, <laughs> I guess that's why. I guess that's why you're so well suited. Yes, 
<laughs> well, with our convention report out of the way, I guess we, we have some kind of slightly um, sadder news to address. We do. Um, since we recorded our last episode, we've very sadly lost two people who I think are both, you know, I th- both have he- relevance to this particular podcast, I would say. Um, so I think, if first of all, Carlos Pacheco uh, passed away very sadly. Uh, he was... A really, really good artist. I mean, I, he was brilliant. I know. There's, 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 there's really no, there's really no other way of putting it. It was just very, very good at what they, he did, and uh, I, I think, oh, it's kind of sad because I mean, like, well, it's very sad, obviously, but coupled with the loss of George Perez, it feels like two big kind of like. Avengers Titans, like two mm. two big names of my childhood, have, uh, are no longer with us in 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 not that in quite close proximity, really. So that's it's very tragic in itself. Yeah, because I, I want to say Pacheco did the uh, Avengers Squadron Supreme Annual in 1998, that Correct. was part of the main Avengers series, and then of course went on to do Avengers Forever, both with Kurt Busiek and Avengers Forever. If you're talking the 90s Avengers series, Avengers Forever is a really important part of that. There's there's no getting around it. If, you, if, if you're going to read Avengers, you do have to take that pause for between issues 8 and 9 and read that 12-issue miniseries. Oh, I I love that. I mean, like yeah. we talk, I, I, I have some images brought up on my screen right now, and I'm getting such incredible, like, warm feelings just looking. I, I loved Avengers Forever. Um, yes. I guess also kind of known as the Destiny War, like the the in the in universe event was the Destiny War. I want to say, yeah, yeah. And I think some of the looks in that book, like I think it's Pacheco's Captain Marvel, Janice Vell at the mm. time. His yellow jacket, I think, is superb. Agreed. Um, it does a great songbird, and I really like what he does with with Clint Barton in that book because it's a Clint Barton who isn't Hawkeye. He's still Goliath, but he's lost his size-changing powers. Yes, he's literally just finished the Kree-Skrull War, I want to say. Because yeah. it's obviously it's heroes, it's Avengers from different points in time kind of plucked to save the day. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously you think of the Busick era and you, you, you definitely think of, you know, kind of George Perez because, you know, mm. they, they were the, the kind of the, the one-two punch that made that series kind of great. But... Pacheco was not that far behind in terms of like quantity of work. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And the, you know, I dare say we're going to be seeing some quite strong influences from Avengers Forever and the Destiny War in, in future Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Like it's, it was, it was quite a, it was quite an event. Yeah. Yeah, Avengers Forever was 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 great, and it's something I think Marvel did then try and repeat a few times, never as successfully. But the way it sort of Busick's run was seemed to be built on this idea of well, there's a lot of continuity issues with Avengers and things that have been left dangling and and weird things here and there. Let's play with them and then resolve them, but have some fun while we do it. And Avengers Forever, I think, is the biggest example of that. Mm. It just plays around with so many different parts of Avengers continuity. I think it's one of those series which they describe as being very much for the fans. 
but just fits in so well with the main book as well. And and yeah, Pacheco on that book was just firing on all cylinders. Absolutely superb stuff. Beautiful well, work. And and also, I mean, we talk about like we've we have mentioned it at length, but JLA Avengers. Mm. You know, and we talked about how insane, you know, the the level of detail, you know, the the crazy amounts of George Perez was bringing to that book as an artist. But like, again, the Avengers Forever is not that far behind in terms of like craziness. It's like you know we have a twelve part like maxi series. We have giant cosmic wars. We have times. We have armies like. Uh, Avengers from different points in history like it, it, it's in a similar vein to JLA Avengers and you know there's few artists that could pull that off really and if I remember correctly like the last couple of issues he was drawing a lot of characters that you suddenly get hundreds of Avengers and villains turn up <laughs> like the end of JLA Avengers oh, I need to I now even just I'm looking at this image we're talking about it, it's like I really want to revisit Avengers forever like yeah, I, me I too. loved that story as a kid and I would say, in a credit to the storytelling, uh, as you say, it's very much about Avengers history. It's very much about the Avengers comics. Mm. But as somebody who was quite new to appreciating the Avengers, and they were rapidly becoming his favourite superhero team, as a relatively... I didn't know any of his history. Busick and Pacheco did such a fantastic job of easing me in that i it didn't matter like i loved it yeah. anyway it was very yeah. welcoming to new readers as well yep and i think when we talk about you know we we the, the name of our podcast is the jla cast but we've said numerous times that jla at dc and avengers at marvel at the same time were both just the best things those companies were putting out at that point mm. i would say and you know i very different but also very similar in the way they went about things in certain ways and yeah so I, I, it it felt like it we needed to mention it we can't re- like it, it it actually struck me as odd when when you 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 mentioned us like a, a, a few minutes ago the idea that this was a, a pivotal 90s crossover mm. and in an odd way it was just it, it's, it's true it's accurate but it was just it was odd to hear it said like that because i almost don't think of it as a quote-unquote 90s event yeah because because like when you say like avengers in the 90s um i'm not really thinking of like the pinnacle of storytelling but of course kind of like 97 onwards much as with morrison's jla you have this kind of avengers renaissance yes and you know it, it seems um odd to put say avengers forever in the same camp as say avengers the crossing (laughs) <laughs> uh polar opposites but yeah but but they are they are undeniably both 90s events but like everything that came from 97 onwards was just such a sea change in terms mm. of quality and arguably for me the highest point in avengers history i would say that avengers has never been as good as when busick was on that book especially with perez and, and pacheco uh you know Obviously, Perez leaves the book before Busick. There was another, I don't know, 30 issues, I think, uh, where it was Busick with other artists. Like, you had Alan Davis, Steve Epting on the book. And, you know, Alan Davis I absolutely love, of course. Mm. But, yeah, that but certainly the, the Busick, Perez, and Pacheco era is just the high point for Avengers for me in the same way that the Morrison-Porter era on JLA is the high point for that. 
for that team. And 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 a, and two series which were which felt quite fresh, quite like a, like a reinvention of what those titles were doing, mm. while also not being ashamed to be comics. Like if if it didn't have to throw the whole thing out the window and be kind of like very postmodern or anything. Like there's a referential uh, and uh, a respectfulness to the books. You know Morrison's yeah. stuff. We've talked about it. It's quite forward facing while also while also being very silver age you know it feels like a modern book but there's a lot of references and i'm looking at you know i'm looking at this carlos pacheco cover from avengers forever and everyone's wearing comic book costumes yeah they're not there's no there's no trying to pretend that there's something they're not it's very colorful it's very bright um it's great. I, I I'm surprised how much I missed it. I I don't I didn't, hadn't realised I did miss it. Yeah. No. Same. Same. I need to. I don't think I currently own Avengers Forever. I need to track down a paperback, a trade paperback of that book. I think I have it in the uh, ninety. Uh, sorry, in the uh, Panini uh, UK collectors editions. So like, yeah, I have it in issue form, so to speak, but not original issue. Um. But yeah, no, I agree. Be, I, I really want to revisit this now. <laughs> to the internet. To the internet. And spending indeed. money I don't have right now. But I, I guess, PJ, the, the second sad loss, which we should address, is uh, the loss of um, Kevin Conroy. Uh, yeah. Batman. Yeah, that, that one hit me hard. I think it was so unexpected. Um, I, I understand it was a... a a short battle with cancer but yeah that one when i found out about it that hit me hard because kevin Con- conroy as far as i'm concerned just was batman and has been batman for the last 30 years mm. um no one's ever been a better batman no one ever will be a better batman no one's going to play batman more times than he did no no that's true that's true it, it just um yeah there's there's really no other way of saying it like it, it is the most you know, arguably the most def- the definitive version of Batman, I think, to so many people, and a big part of that is is Kevin Conroy and the voice. Like it was, that's still when I close my eyes, that's the Batman I think of. It's the Batman I hear in my head when I'm reading these comics. Like all of the dialogue Morrison and Wade and everyone else has put in in Batman's mouth in JLA. I just hear it in Conroy's voice and it just works. (laughs) It works so well because I think the thing Conroy did that a lot of actors don't necessarily understand is he made Batman a fully, he was human. He made Mm. him a fully rounded person. He, he would feel things. He had a sense of humor, you know, there are genuinely funny Batman moments throughout justice league and justice league unlimited that feel perfectly in character with, with who Batman is. I mean, obviously you know, particularly with animated series, it's a, it's a team effort. You've got the animators, the writers, the directors, all this kind of stuff. But at the heart of it, those the character of Batman, the, the words coming out of that character's mouth would never have hit as hard if not for the the manner in which they were delivered. And mm. um, it, I don't know, it's very easy to kind of project onto this, but it, it never seemed like just a job. Like he always seemed to be giving it a hundred percent and even even to the point of having subtly subtle differences between bruce wayne and batman but both being undeniably kevin conroy like it was it's just phenomenal 
Yeah. And I was so happy that he got to play Bruce Wayne in live action as well on the <laughs> uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover between all the Arrowverse shows. He only appears for one episode and he doesn't have a lot of scenes, but my God, he makes an impact. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? Because like he's... Uh... You know, he was a cool-looking guy as well. Like, you, for, for for most people, he was he was like a, a kind of just a uh, a disembodied voice. But like, um, I remember listening to uh, I think um, I think Kevin Smith did a, a live interview with him, actually, mm. San Diego or something like that. And it was very interesting. He came across as a really cool guy. Like, kind of talking about his experiences. You know, beginning as an actor. You know, I think a lot of these famous voice actors didn't necessarily imagine they would start out. They they would you know, become famous for voice yeah. acting. But, uh, you know, yeah, he'd, he'd acted in person. He'd done all kinds of things before he became Batman. And Yeah, yeah, he, he was in an episode of Cheers. And it was that we recently rewatched all of Cheers, my wife and I, and he turned up and was like, hey, he's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> is that, what's that like? Does he, uh, is it instantly recognisable, the voice? No, it was that, because it was a very young Kevin Conroy as well. It was like, this guy looks so familiar. Who is it? And then he was speaking. He was like, hang on, I know that voice. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Batman. <laughs> and that's it. When he'd turn up, when his voice would turn up in other things, like he played a lot of DC characters in other animated shows. But every time I was like, it's Batman. <laughs> Why is the Phantom Stranger Batman? <laughs> and, you know, of course, also the Arkham, the Arkham Asylum yes. video games. Or at least yes. the first... Uh, Oh gosh, it was definitely the first two. I think, it was and he was, yeah, he was in because they did uh, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, City which he yes. was, and then they did Arkham Origins, which he wasn't. But then they did Arkham Knight, where he came back to finish that trilogy, as it were. Mm. I mean, he, it, it's, it's always you know like to to see such a change in art style to go from you know the the Timverse animated series to uh, you know the Arkham Asylum games. That's a shock, you know, and the continuity of having that same voice coming out of Batman, you know, same voice coming out of Joker with Mark Hamill, you know, mm. it was very, you kind of knew you were in safe hands, like kind of right off the bat. And I guess it helped that I, I believe uh, at least the first two games were written by Paul. Oh, I always get it wrong. Is it Dini? Dini. Dini? Yeah. 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 And uh, so it really felt like a kind of reunion for the for the show. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I also think it, it it's worth mentioning as well that certainly, I not the whole time, but Kevin Conroy certainly for a while was, was openly out as gay. And so to have this out gay man portraying Batman and being so universally beloved for that performance, I think, was hugely important. I, I didn't, I, you know, I'm so ignorant. I didn't know that. I think I might I might get this wrong, and if I do, I, I do hope somebody writes in to correct me. But I believe he only publicly came out a, around seven or eight years ago. Wow! Um, but yeah, Kevin Conroy was an out gay man playing Batman, and just and the Batman that everybody loved more than any other Batman. So yeah, you're right. We, that is that's quite a powerful thing. Yeah, that is quite a powerful thing. No, gosh, I didn't think. Um... I didn't think I could respect him more, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I that that one I was gutted. Uh, genuinely huge, huge loss. I'm very sad we're not going to hear him playing Batman again. But 
my god, he leaves behind some amazing performances, and I think I'm just going to go rewatch rewatch all of his animated shows and films and play all his video games again. I guess the you know the wonder of art, and I, I guess particularly you know the wonder of weird little pieces of pop culture like cartoons and comics. I mean, it's like they are ultimately it is ultimately trash. You know, everything we do, everything we love is trash. But these are the things that will stay with you, you know, and it's a kind of immortality in a way because people will continue to love and admire Batman and the Avengers because of the work of Kevin and because of the work of Carlos. And it's, mm. yeah, it's like, um, I, I, it's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm so grateful to, to, you know, the things they gave us and, they, you know, knowing that people will continue to enjoy it for a long time is is it's quite a nice feeling. Yes, definitely. So yeah, thank you, thank you both. It's been yeah for the memories. <laughs> but PJ, speaking of memories, uh, <laughs> we're 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 in the nineties, PJ. We're it's it's final night. It is. It is. We're we're looking at the the DC event book that came out just before Morrison's JLA was running concurrently with uh, Justice League of Midsummer's Nightmare, the prelude to Morrison's JLA. And, well, we've read the, what, eight, four, eight-page, like, prologue story and issue one. Yes. And essentially, a sun eater's come and is, is trying to eat our sun. And the, not the Justice League, the collected DC heroes, which includes the Justice League, led by Captain Atom, who are currently... <laughs> Let's say Z-listers at best have made two attempts at stopping the Sun Eater. Uh, one was boom tubing it away; that didn't work. And the other was creating a second Sun, which it's not a hundred percent clear. But I think the Sun Eater just went, "Oh yeah, a snack, ate that," and then went back to eating the main Sun. Yes, and um, like I said, you know, all your favourites are here. Uh, you know, Captain Axum, uh, Tachyon. Uh, Maxi Alpha Centurion. Alpha Centurion. God, he's getting a lot of screen time. Uh, Dr. Polaris, very happy about that. Um, and I guess the biggest, most notable thing so far is that there isn't a villain to punch. Mm. It's a yep. very, uh, it's quite a faceless threat, basically. So it's a little, it's a little different, perhaps, to, to some it of is. the events. It is. It's just like they're facing a force of nature. Like it's mm. it's just like a tsunami or an earthquake, but on a more cosmic scale. And we've also had Lex Luthor in Speedos. Yes, we're not going to see that again, and that's a shame. <laughs> really, the series' is greatest failing. Well, two it's greatest peaked. failings. It's peaked with the end of issue one, hasn't it? Yeah, not enough Kyle, and not nearly <laughs> enough uh, Lex Luthor kind of just chilling on a beach. Um, very odd to see, uh, like, I, I want to say like a young Stuart Immonen, but, you know, he might not have been that young. But, yeah, weird to see kind of Stuart Immonen's work before he really became Stuart Immonen, mm. if that makes sense, before you yep. go like, oh, yes, of course. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think if it hadn't been labelled as, as his work, I might not have recognised him. <laughs> well, if we just dive into page one, there, there's a couple of panels I really want to highlight of his work here on page one. So, well, by Sorry, PJ, by page one, do you mean the full page picture of the sun growing dark. I don't have that. Do you not? Ah, that's been, no. that's been manually inserted into mine, I feel. I've got the cover, 
which is a sign saying the end is here with Batman and Superman's capes on it and Wonder Woman's lasso while there's snow falling around it. And then it's got like a... My first page is opens with a panel of the sun covered by the Sun Eater. No, it must be something to do with my collected edition, which which we've established is a digitised version of a later print edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've just inserted like a full page picture of the sun growing growing dark. But there we oh, go. Well, there you go. But I'm then for you, I mean the second page. <laughs> <laughs> Read along which, at home, everybody. It's basically a recap page being narrated by Jimmy Olsen. Uh, so, look, oh, look, the sun's being eaten. And then we get a, a really nice panel, I think, of uh, Dusk, the char- the alien character who fled New Tamaran when that one was being attacked by the Sun Eater and came to Earth and basically arrives on planets before the Sun Eater to warn the residents of the world that she arrives at that the Sun Eater is coming and they need to try and do something. And it's just a really cool, like... It's very much the sort of shot you'd see on the news, a paparazzi-type shot of her sort of side-eyeing a camera as she walks past with some other superheroes. And I just think it's a really effective panel. Are you doubly happy because we see a tiny bit of Kyle in the background? Yeah, and John. And John. And And a blonde lady, let's say Black Canary. Black Canary, Black Canary. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, we're getting just, you know, basically a summary of everything to date. Um, You know, things are... Things are not looking good, basically. Yep. And we then get a panel of Superman carrying Dusk away from her crashed starship with the Legion of Superheroes. And I just want to say here, some lovely cape work. <laughs> <laughs> always good to see a cape. And always good to see um, co- co- Cosmic Boy. Cosmic Boy and Saturn Girl. Oh, God, did I get that right? Is it actually Cosmic Boy? It is, yeah. I was being facetious. I couldn't remember his name. Lightning yes, Lad, Cosmic Boy. Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, and Saturn Girl. They're the original Legionnaires, I believe, the first three. No, this is good. God, I feel I've, I've won some brownie points here today. <laughs> uh, but yes, as we turn the page, uh, you know, as PJ alluded to, we are in the TV studio and we have Jimmy Olsen uh, at a time in his life where he'd kind of been pro- promoted, I guess, out of being photographer to being a TV pundit sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's basically filling the world in on about how we're all going to die, essentially. But then there's there's some breaking news as uh, Lex Luthor has arrived in Metropolis and has immediately called a press conference where he basically talks about there are charges against him that he's not running from anymore. Uh, he has been running from them and he's had good cause to do so, but he's not ashamed of anything he's done. So he's going to offer his knowledge and his company's resources to tackle the Sun Eater. And once he's successfully done that, he will then look forward to his day in court. <laughs> uh, and Superman arrives. And, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, this is the Metropolis Airport because it's covered in snow because, of course, mm. the, the climate is rapidly changing. Uh, and we do have what looks like a Canadian, uh, like, maple leaf on the side of the plane. Yeah, Air Canada. Air Canada. So I'm thinking, did Lex Luthor, Luthor fly here via Canada from the Bahamas or wherever he was before? <laughs> Who knows? Unless we have tropical beaches in Manitoba, which uh, they might do. Uh, But we also have Superman's, uh, you know, the the reporters are asking him, you know, will you be evacuating? And he says, no, 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 we're not evacuating the planet. We're not evacuating the city. I couldn't save Krypton. I won't stand around and watch Earth die. And yeah, then we get a splash page of Superman and Lex just shaking hands. As Superman says, we'll go down fighting. And Lex says, I wouldn't have it any other way. As cameras flash around them and reporters take all their pictures. And it's a really 
Really cool panel, actually. Really page, as I say, splash page. And this is also where we get our title and credits. So this is the final night, chapter two, Darker Grows the Night. Carl Kessel, writer, Stuart Immonen, penciler, Jose Marzan Jr., inker, uh, Patricia Malville, colorist, Gaspar Letterer, Ali Morales, assistant editor, and Dan Thorsland, editor. My only point would be, does do do the people assembled here not get any say in this? Because it's like, you know, if you say, so, so Superman, when, when are we going to be evacuating? And Superman's like, no, we're not evacuating. We're going to go down fighting. And I'd be like, cool. So c- could I evacuate? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, do, do, I, do I get the option? <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're not allowed to evacuate unless you've got your own spaceship. <laughs> but, um, of course, obviously, uh, Luther has literally just got off the plane. So he wants to be brought into the loop because he he is a very smart individual. You know, mm-hmm. little, quite arrogant, but, you know, he probably could be of use. And um, he wants to go to uh, Star Labs so he can kind of get involved. But Superman says that um, Star Labs aren't the only people who've been collecting data on the crisis. Yeah. And then we cut to Oracle's Watchtower. Nice, and little, it's, nice little cameo. It's only this time reading this that I realised, oh, hang on. Oracle's not in the league yet and never has been. <laughs> but Batman's asked her to coordinate everything. Oh, God, you're right. Yes. I kind Very of just, much a baptism of fire. <laughs> I kind of just took it for granted. I kind of assumed yeah. it. I was like, oh, of course Oracle's there. Why Why wouldn't she be? Yeah. But no, this is, this is new territory for Oracle. This is the first time she's had to coordinate anything this big. And you've got loads of screens with people on them. It's hard to... Supergirl's on one of them and Superman shaking Lex's hand on the other. It's quite hard to make out what's on the rest of them, to be honest. Mm, I can see a, a gun. Yeah. Maybe I think I... that might be Black Canary that it's shooting at. Looking at the legs. Yeah. Either way, but things aren't great. Yeah. And oh, a nice no, there's moment. a bow. There's a bow, PJ. Oh. Oh, it's Connor? very hard to tell anyway yeah yeah things things aren't going great but there's she's getting sort of reports in of of emergencies everywhere you know blood donors needed uh, there's a flood at the vatican blizzard in cairo um and there's a major fire and in gateway city and then there's just a nice moment where she says do you read me diana i mean diana because she's so used to talking to black canary yeah. but here it's wonder woman she's in contact with <laughs> And, um, yeah, and, you know, out in the field, uh, we see Wonder Woman leading a bunch of superheroes to, you know, do what they do best. So we have uh, the Ray, who uh, is just a visual delight. I love his costume. Hmm. Uh, We have Captain Marvel Jr., a.k.a. Mm -hmm. CM2. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And we also have a flying car. Uh, on which Skang's barter. Yes. Yeah. And it's being driven by the Guardian. It's nice to see him. <laughs> Remember the Guardian, everybody? I do, because he was a major part of the Superman books in the mid-90s. Oh, of course, yeah. No, for me, I think of... Um... Oh, yeah, because he was... Was he based out of Star Labs, or was it... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. No, no. No, he was, pro- um... Project... Cadmus. Cadmus, that was it, yeah. All the uh, genetic stuff. Yeah, because I believe he's meant to be a clone of like the original Guardian or something. And then the Guardian that I've probably read most 
the most of, if anything, is in the pages of um, Seven Soldiers, another Morrison one. Yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so basically uh, there are um, uh, a series of fires in the city. So uh, yeah, the heroes are descending to uh, help out because uh, the streets are blocked with abandoned vehicles and the firefight- firefighters can't get close to the, the blaze. Yeah, and Barda just leaps out of the flying car and he's like, right, let's get to it. And Guardian shouts, Barda! And she's all, nah, there's nothing compared to the fire pits of, you know, that forged the new gods. Uh, then on the ground level, we have um, somebody, you know, uh, a woman kind of like, um, kind of imminent danger of burning to death, only for the ray to emerge from the flames to help her. Uh, again, the ray just looking delightful it's a great it's a great costume it's a really good panel as well it's it's this this figure just coming out of the light to save her and you know she in the previous panel she was praying to god and she she thanked god for answering her prayers and you can sort of see how you would take this image of the ray in that way uh yeah and uh we then have uh captain marvel jr kind of loading people into a uh a bathtub to kind of fly them to safety. Um, they're having a conversation which I don't 100% understand, to be honest. Well, <laughs> one of the kids in the bathtub is saying, Captain Marvel Jr.? No, I don't I don't see the relation to the old holy moly man. So he's saying, I can't see the resemblance to Captain Marvel. Oh, right, 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 right. And then someone else says, oh, CMJ doesn't have time to chat. Um he has to go save the end of the world party types on the fourth floor. And CMJ is like, a party on your building's fourth floor? As the fourth floor explodes. Um, yeah. And uh, we have Barda kind of, um, I think, ho- holding up a wall. <laughs> With one hand. With one hand, yeah. And uh, uh, basically, uh, these people need rescuing and they are drunk, basically. We're having a party as the world ended. Yeah, and she says, I thought you said these walls were well constructed. I took out this one with a gentle blow. <laughs> uh, Guardian brings his flying car down to, uh, you know, kind of get people to safety. Uh, and um, yeah, um, one guy's like, well, wh- why bother? You know, the world's ending. Might as well get drunk and enjoy it. And Bard is like, well, you don't win battles by surrendering. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's a fair point, I suppose. And then Wonder Woman steals everyone's thunder by just carrying a fire engine through the sky to <laughs> to sort the fire out. Uh, I thought for a moment she was just going to kind of like start smacking the fire with the fire engine, but <laughs> she doesn't understand how it works. <laughs> uh, but no, she's merely delivering it to where it needs to be. Uh, so yeah, so then we cut to um, I guess kind of um, the aftermath, really, where things are things are being well. I don't want to say solved, but they're marginally better than they were before. Yeah, there's there's a kid who's sort of asking Guardians crouched down and talking to him. Guardian very much Captain America just in the DC universe. <laughs> I think it is a, a Jack Kirby, Joe Simon creation as well. I think he is, you know, he's 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 an uptight, nice guy with a shield. <laughs> <laughs> Although um, breaking new ground by not having a circular shield. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I don't think he throws it. No, no. It's like a weird... <laughs> I guess it kind of looks a bit like a police badge, I suppose. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's intentional. Uh, but yeah, so um, 
it seems as though the fire was accidentally started by a little kid who was just trying to, uh, you know, keep keep his mom warm. Um, so yeah, so you know, it's not exactly a happy ending, but you know, people most people are safe, and uh, Wonder Woman is kind of giving a report to Oracle, basically. Yeah, she says it's it's heartbreaking, this five-year-old and partiers who keep saying it's the end of the world as they know it, but they feel fine. And then she says, that's a song, if you say so. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, so Batman is now, Batman's being kind of like tactician. Uh, he's sending them to uh, Las Vegas um, because, as Wonder Woman points out, that snow and sand are far from a winning combination. But before they can leave, the woman that the Ray saved approaches him and says, look, I know, I know you've done so much, but I think you only you can help me. I'm far from home and I just want to see my family again to be with them at the end of the world. Can you can you help me? And uh, so half the world away, we cut to um, a very snowy uh, kind of cold looking place where, um, well, there's there's a, a gentleman kind of monologuing to himself in an empty room. Um, he might be a villain. He may not be. It's hard to tell. He uh, is. He, he is. But he's, um, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, saying, uh, you know, the time has come, my dear, exactly as I promised, the moment when we will be together for all eternity. Uh, so uh, he's talking to a painting. Uh, and it's not just any painting. It's uh, the... Um, Oh God, it's so brain. My brain failed me. But Mona Lisa, Mona there Lisa. You go. Thank there you, you thank go. you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he 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 indicates that five hundred years ago he blackmailed Leonardo da Vinci da Vinci into uh, into painting the picture. Yeah, and to blackmail her into sitting there as well. So we're in the Louvre. It's France, and he's basically saying, "And now I'm going to steal the painting, and I have your soul." And then Batman steps out of the shadows and says, this is just karmic payback on a girl who wouldn't say yes. Ah, it's just art theft. Let's take you down. And it's Vandal Savage. who is It is Vandal Savage. Who is using his last moments on Earth to steal a painting. <laughs> He's a weird guy. I guess we next see him in the... I'm sure he made other appearances, but we next saw him in the pages of DC One Million. Yeah. Where he was kind of going full deranged in the face of the end of the world, which I don't know, that that felt somehow classier. Well, he was kind of causing the end of the world partly as well, wasn't he? Partly true, yes. Although I guess his older self was. His younger self seemed a bit kind of clueless. His younger self was launching nuclear missiles. Well, I mean that I, you know, honestly, you launch one nuclear missile and suddenly you're a bad guy. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's some back and forth between Savage and Batman, and Batman just says you might have gotten away with it too if you'd <laughs> bothered to disable the Louvre's security system. And Savage is like, eh, don't care, I'm taking the painting. Batman tells him to surrender, and Savage pulls out an Uzi and just lets fire at Batman. I mean, you know, not that um, paint... Um, theft isn't a, isn't a serious crime but um i'd almost be tempted to just let him have it you know it, 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 is, is batman not busy i think there's also an element of of vandal savage would be not someone batman wants running around at this moment no that's true that's true 
Um, although he does say that he has technically arranged uh, transport off planet. So maybe could we not just make him think the world is actually doomed and just let him leave? Not worry about him again. <laughs> no, Batman doesn't do that. And uh, well, OK. And to prove that uh, he uh, well, he um, hits Savage in the arm with a batarang, which is a classic. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, but he's also sorry. He's kind of like um, wrapping him up with a a what do you call it? Like a like a snare batarang, like a like a lasso or something. Yeah, yeah. And Vandal Savage is rightly surprised because he shot at him with an Uzi, and he said, "But those were hollow points. Your body armor. What is it? A force field? Is it an illusion?" And Batman just says, "Same way I arrived in Paris. Man of Steel, still faster than a speeding bullet, as you can see." But Superman is looking incredibly out of breath. As he drops the bullets. Yeah, Superman is is like winded. And I'm kind of reminded of when we previously saw Superman sweating, which was in uh, the pages of a Mark Wade story. Mm. And you know something is wrong when Superman starts displaying basic human physiology. Uh, yeah, it's really unusual to see him with his, he's sort of bent over his hands on his knees, struggling for breath. And it's 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 weird to see Superman like this. Because yes, he 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 corks all the bullets barely, but um, with the sun going out, uh, his powers are diminishing rapidly. Yeah, and we cut to a smirking Lex Luthor talking about this, going, "You shouldn't rely on him for anything more than crowd control at this point. Saving the world is my job." <laughs> oh, and and the rest of you, of course, because he also got Green Lantern and some of the Legion of Superheroes in the room with him. I mean, let's be honest. Really, you've got Green Lantern. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, Omega level hero, basically. <laughs> oh, but good news: the Alpha Centurion gets a look, uh, a look in. You know, everyone's favourite because um, they, um, his ship collected some data on the uh, on the crisis. Yes, yeah, and Dusk says, "Well, you're wasting time. The Sun Eater can't be defeated. I've seen this scenario played out." So many times, and then Brainiac is like, well, it would have been nice if your ship recorded some of those scenarios, and these systems are so primitive, which starts an argument with Lex. Yeah, um, you know, Lex is, is quite sarky, which is maybe maybe justified, perhaps, saying like, you know, oh, well, if you're so intelligent, Brainiac, you must have solved all the problems by now. No? Well, I guess you'll have to just, you know, follow my lead then. It is quite nice seeing Brainiac 5 taken down a peg or two, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, yes, he's saying, like, what we need is a probe, something that can descend through the energy-draining Sun Eater and survive the million-degree temperatures of the Sun itself. Oh, and we need to launch now. Um, and, uh, yeah, he says, ha, of course, so simple, you'll be even greener with envy, my young friend. Yep. <laughs> Who could he mean? I don't know. Uh, but hey, so um, <laughs> let's cut away from that scene to um, a man who gets a surprising amount of uh, screen time in our podcast about the JLA. Uh, it's uh, Starman. The the original, Ted Knight. Yes. We're it, just... <laughs> he's like a bad penny, PJ. Keeps popping up. Yeah. In event books. Hmm. It's really he's, odd. He's at home listening to the radio about the... Uh, Evacuation is unlikely, if not impossible, and access to spacecraft is limited, and the religious right would never allow sorcery or a new god. And then suddenly the Flash, Jay Garrick, 
uh, Liberty Bell and Wildcat are at his door saying, hey, we've uh, we've gotten our old costumes out and come out of retirement just for this event book. Do you want to join us? <laughs> and he basically goes, oh, no, I'm looking through my telescope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, it's weird for me to get the continuity square in my own head. Um, but I guess when, you know, because you say they've come out of retirement. So, like, I guess, you know, when, when, we, when next we see... Uh, the JSA in the pages of JLA, uh, that was kind of a momentous event, was it not? Like, they they really weren't meant to be a going concern at this point. I don't believe the Justice Society had their own book at this point. I think you'd get some appearances from Jay Garrick in the pages of Flash. Wildcat would turn up here and there, I believe. And um, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, Sentinel, whatever name he's going by, also was around but yeah the justice society themselves weren't so much of a going concern hmm yeah and it's funny isn't it because when when morrison brought them in the you know morrison kind of maybe wisely focused on the old guard you know on the Mm. ones who'd been doing this a long time it's it's weird seeing liberty bell at this point when yes she's one of the younger uh members of the of the jsa as i understand it but what I really like is the way uh, Imminent's drawn her mask here. It's very much an old school 40s Kirby, just two black diamonds. <laughs> There's no, it, it conceals nothing. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> the thing I kind of love about like the Liberty Bell, uh, uh, Liberty Bell as a character, and uh, uh, and many, and frankly, like a lot of like the wider cast of the, J, the JSA is in many ways how kind of, and I mean this in a very nice way, awful their costumes are um because they're very much harking back to that era where you know literally every everybody under the sun had a comic and Mm. they were all punching nazis and they were all they all were just like thrown together in a few minutes like (laughs) liberty bell's costume is not great and then at the same time it's kind of brilliant yep (laughs) yeah and Oh, I, it's Jay Garrick's silly helmet. I love it. He's wearing it at a nice jaunty angle here as well, so it's even better. Yeah. But how and, does it stay on when he's running? I and, don't care. And it's his great. Ju- his jumper in particular looks very comfy in this in this image. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very understated. Uh, but yeah, so apparently, you know, Ted Knight points out that like he's got to keep looking through his telescope and, uh, you know, might notice something or be able to find something interesting that could help them. Uh, tells them to be careful because it could get pretty dangerous out there, to which uh, Jay says, well, that's not any different to when we usually put the costumes on. So, you know, just business as usual. Yep. And then we cut to outer space where our favourite Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, is flying in a weird science armour suit he's created with his ring. And he has dialogue, PJ. Kyle's talking. This is the first time, yeah. Yeah, don't get used to it, but he does. And of course, again, he's not technically on the league at this point. No, as I say, I'm pretty sure he's with the Titans at this point. I mean, it's actually kind of debatable... If there is, I mean, there is a league at this point, but like, who exactly is on it? Like, this is kind of like a post-extreme justice world where you've got Captain Atom and Booster Gold and Maxima, an amazing man. Well, there isn't 
a JLA or Justice League of America book at the moment. Because don't forget, this is coming out same time as Midsummer's Nightmare, which for those three months was the monthly JLA book, is my understanding. Ah. And then you don't get anything else till JLA one comes out the following year. So I I don't in the pay in within continuity, the JLA are the also rands, but mm. there isn't a JLA book, and we'll discuss it after the final issue. But the continuity of where the JLA is makes no sense. <laughs> I, I mean, where's Nuclon? That's what I keep asking myself. Like, we, you know, Nuclon and Metamorpho, that's that's a Justice League I knew of from, what, I mean, very late 1996. Do have a soft spot for Metamorpho, I've got to be honest. Yeah, no, I'll tolerate Metamorpho. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Kyle is, you know, kind of a, well, he's not, what am I trying to say? He's, he's, not, he's not not a team player. But he's certainly not in the big leagues at the moment. Uh, yeah, and he's yeah. Uh, he's racing out into space in his funky uh, funky armor. Uh, meanwhile, at you know ground level back on Earth, uh, he's in communication with uh, Brainiac and Luthor. Yeah, so it turns out Luthor and Brainiac came up with this armor together and used Saturn Girl's telepathy to just funnel it straight into Green Lantern's mind so Kyle could create it with his ring because his ring is the only power source that could construct a device capable of surviving diving deep into the Sun Eater. (laughs) And of course, um, you know, Kyle comes a long way between this moment and, say, DC 1 million, where we see him, with a little help from Superman 1 million a contain an exploding sun by himself. Yeah. Which is where I kind of believe Kyle probably should be in terms of power level. But I think it's quite interesting to go back to Kyle as he was before the Morrison JLA run Mm. and and sort of see a, forgive me, greener Kyle. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, like, bless him. He, it kind of shows that like, if you give people the support they need, they can kind of develop because, yeah, you wouldn't really think at this point that Kyle would go on to be one of, if not the greatest, Green Lanterns. And, um, and yeah, it's like, you know, Morris expects so much time proving why he deserved that chance, really. Yeah, yeah. And and it is a pretty big deal. He's flying into the middle of a Sun Eater and into the sun. Yes, Luthor and Brainiac designed the device but kyle has to create it and maintain the concentration and power levels to use it yeah and it's kind of it's kind of intense like kyle is diving into the harks of i guess the sun eater or around it or kind of yeah yeah it's it's already kind of enveloped the sun basically hasn't it so it's kind of slowly chowing down on it yeah, and Luthor asks Kyle to just move towards the center, and one of the Star Lab scientists says, well, he's gone down over 2,000 miles, how deep does it go, how much of the sun is... Is there any sun left? And then Kyle finds the sun yeah, in the middle of the sun eater. Because they mentioned in the previous episode, and uh, issue rather, and they're, they're kind of, they reinforce it here, that um, there, there's like a... The energies of the sun eater are... Well, they say here, you know, they're dimensional they're potentially even temporal so there's like a distortion field around it which means you can't just blow the damn thing up because it doesn't technically exist in the world as we know it Mm. yeah uh but yeah but right at the heart of it um it suddenly goes from being insanely dark to being you know quite bright and sunny because kyle has found our sun it's just kind of buried yeah 
and he asks if they're getting the readings back in Metropolis, and Brainiac says, yes, and Dusk is right, we should evacuate the planet, we don't have time to worry about anything else. And Kyle says, what do you mean we don't have time? And the, there's no response. He says, just look, are, are we done? I want to get out of here, it's getting really warm, I need to disassemble the probe so I've got more energy also, I give off less energy on my way out, so the Sun Eater's got less to suck out of me. Brainiac tells him to shut down. And yeah. Luthor is very angry. Yes, because again, Luthor, a a brilliant, blunt instrument, uh, is very much like, no, 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 I want more, more data, e- everything, I want it. Um, and he's frustrated now because they've, they've, he feels they've missed their chanks. So he um, asks uh, Saturna, because he couldn't be bothered to remember her name, uh, to use her ESP to uh, contact Kyle again, uh, but she 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 can't she she can't find any trace of him within the sun. Yeah, Kyle has disappeared. Ooh. I hope he's okay. So we cut away, PJ. We're we're back at gra- ground level in the snow, uh, and we join Dusk and Black Canary. Yeah, they're in Dusk's ship. Um just getting some equipment and dusk says she's she tries to bring a memento from each world she visits with her something to just keep the culture alive in a small way black canary asks if her warnings ever saved anyone and dusk says a small handful but never a world the ending is always the same but then as they leave the ship it's a bunch of human beings with torches and signs who are blaming dusk for everything that's happening and wants to kill her uh yeah in fact um they have uh i'm always amazed that angry mobs can organize so quickly because they have even got in some nice little slogans so they they scream at her and call her the daughter of the dark which i feel they had to have workshopped for a little while to have got to this point one calls her an ice witch and i feel like that was improv because it doesn't make a lot of sense (laughs) hey hey now hey (laughs) hey i'm a sci-fi character sir Clearly. <laughs> so Black Canary says, well, stay back, I'll take care of this. But Dusk says, oh, I can take care of myself. And they both start beating people up. And then someone manages to get the drop on Black Canary because they're massively outnumbered and points a gun at her head. And then the gun disappears. Uh, because uh, it's everyone's uh, second favourite leaguer. It's uh, Wally. And, and he's brought um, the Bat Bros. He's brought Nightwing and uh, Robin. Tim Drake. Uh, who, the best Robin. The best Robin, who, bless him, is, is looking a little queasy because he's just been carried here by the Flash. I think this is probably the first time Tim's been run at super speed. Yeah, I mean, when you... It's funny, isn't it? It's like the, the legacy of DC characters. It's like when you enter the superheroing business, you know... When you are a of the bat family, it's probably only a matter of time before you do the old, was it, light speed shuffle. Yeah, yeah. But I always love seeing Wally and Dick together in a book because, <laughs> obviously, they go so far back, like the original Teen Titans. I know. Like, it, it, it's bizarre. Like, sometimes I, 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 I have to kind of remind myself of the relationship between the two of them because yeah. it's like there's been so much water under the bridge. But, yes, you're right, of course. You know, Kid Flash and the original Robin. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's always good to see them teaming up. Yeah, very much like the quintessential second-generation heroes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, again, as we've said many a time, it's a shame they, they that wasn't allowed to continue. Yeah, but, ah, oh well, 
Anyway, Wally says, you know, I'm the fastest man alive. And then someone smacks him in the head with a baseball bat and quite rightly says, well, not when you're standing still. Yeah, which, I mean, I, I, I have to assume because it's so cold that maybe Wally wasn't, you know, at his best in this moment because this guy got very lucky. Uh, but Nightwing uh, kicks him in the face and, uh, you know, Robin gets to work as well. Yep, they're, they're trying to rescue Dusk, but she is in the middle of the mob and no one can get to her. And then we just have one panel of a figure in an alleyway watching as the mob goes after Dusk. Uh, and then, lest, you, uh, lest you've forgotten about them, uh, we see the Ray um, carrying uh, the woman uh, he was helping from before. Like he's literally flown her uh, to her home village. Yeah, and it's it's hard for the Ray because she's there, she's reunited with her family and they're all talking to each other and the Ray just sees innocence. He just sees innocent people around him who haven't done anything wrong and he can't let them die and he just flies up into the sky and just bursts almost. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this is where, you know, the action starts kind of like... Um cutting rapidly back and forth between two uh the two scenes really where juxtaposing the ray uh well i mean effectively trying to become like a like a second son in his own right uh and the people kind of rejoicing in his light and and then the the angry mob kind of beating up dusk and and you know frankly almost trying to burn her alive which is Quite, quite extreme. Yes, yeah, it's um, it's a lot. And the ray falls to earth. Dusk is about to be killed, and then suddenly someone steps in and saves her, and it's uh, Pharaoh. It's it's Pharaoh, everybody. F e double r o, you know him, him, who is a legion adjacent character so i think this is there i'm not 100 percent sure okay i'm not fully up on him he there was a pharaoh lad in legion of superheroes and then i think i don't think it was even crisis i think it was zero hour um changed him into this character and yeah who is um because uh, obviously the legion are stranded in the present day some of them are anyway yeah and I, I again i what little i know of this character kind of came from the pages of the um dc encyclopedia which i which was you know published in the early 2000s and i kind of understand that if this isn't the character's first appearance it's it's a, it's like a reintroduction of the character and they're going to become more of a, a presence going forward with the legion yeah so he and it's not crisis as i say crisis didn't change this one this was zero hour one of the effects of zero hour was they rebooted pharaoh lad as pharaoh and rather than being a legionnaire he starts in the present day. I want to say this is his first appearance. Um, I'm not 100%. Don't hold me to it. But 
Yeah, and it's also the end of the issue. He's just turned up to rescue, <laughs> rescue Dusk. Uh, I, it's very, it's, it's, uh, well, it's certainly unexpected. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. But 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 yes, it, it's 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 Pharaoh, and it is, and that and that's the end of the issue. It's to be continued next week. Uh, oh no, apparently he first appeared in... I'm just looking him up on the DC Wiki. First appeared in Adventures of Superman 540, which was a final night tie-in. Right, okay. So, uh, would I be right in saying... You can correct me if I'm wrong, PJ. Uh, he wears a mask, a kind of Iron Man-esque mask, because he's been disfigured in some way? Or am I thinking of a different iteration of Pharaoh Lad? I th- uh, it, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, sorry. There we go. He's, his secret identity is Andrew Nolan, and he and his twin brother Douglas were born with severely deformed faces. Right. And does he have the power of... Can he manipulate metal? Can he do anything with metal? or am I He getting- can convert the tissue of his entire body into organic iron. He's a colossus. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Cool. Uh, again, it is very odd that he is here. Um but there we go. Uh, anyway, PJ, that was the abrupt ending of chapter two of Final Night. Well, I think that you know Pharaoh's the the cavalry in this case. He's he's here to save Dusk and sort of give us a little bit of hope, uh, in a way, I guess. But yeah, that is the end of issue two. And I I think issue two holds to is, is sort of put together a, a lot better than issue one. I yes. would say. Yeah. I think I think it's actually really good issue two. I think it's a very nice sort of. I think they had to do issue one and get the attempts to stop the Sun Eater that they were going to do out of the way because then you can have this really nice ground level look at how this is affecting the DC universe. Mm. This this whole crisis that's going on. No, agreed, agreed. It's um, yeah, it, it flows a lot better than part one. Um, I I I have to say I think the kind of um moment to moment kind of storytelling is, is perhaps um a little underwhelming for me hmm. um i think um as you say it works better as a story in its own right uh but yeah i d- i don't know i th- i think um compared to the flair with which some of the morrison stories are told um it it's quite I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a bit pedestrian, maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, one of those... It's just how event books were at that at that time, really, where if you're not reading a lot of the tie-ins, you are missing beats. Yeah. And I think, it's, to be honest, it's probably not that different to if I picked up a... Um, I don't know, a Marvel event book of the time. Like, um, I mean, an example would be, um, do you remember there was a Busick, uh, and I want to say Jerry Ordway uh, Avengers event. Maximum Security. Maximum Security, yes. Um, which is, I would probably group in a similar way, where I remember that story didn't really set my world on fire. Yes, same. I have a soft spot for it, Basically, because it involves Ego, the living planet, who I love. But 
Yeah, it's it's like a three issue series, and then there's a load of tie ins, and a lot of them don't really work for me to be honest, because it's literally just, oh look, Spider Man is doing his ongoing story, but a couple of aliens are here. But isn't it weird that like I'm tr- you know using Pharaoh as as an example. You know, like if you if you're picking this story up like apropos of nothing, much like uh, myself who have never read it before, suddenly out of the blue you have this character of Pharaoh here, uh, and I'm like, well, who is this? Why should I care? Uh, you know, I I don't know this character. Uh, they don't seem especially iconic, anyway. Uh, and it's kind of similar to what they did in Maximum Security, because I, I think Maximum Security just focused a lot on, um, is it John Walker, the US agent? Yeah, but in a brief period when Marvel tried to turn the US agent into Judge Dredd. Yeah, like not even subtly. Like he <laughs> he was just Judge Dredd. Um, and, and I guess like this is how it's, a, it's a, maybe a winning formula for crossovers or big events where... You'd maybe just pick a, a more obscure character and bring them into the limelight to, mm. you know, maybe revitalize that franchise a bit. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it, it's the fact that there is no JLA at this point. Mm. So we're also used to spending time with certain characters, and those characters get very short shrift in this series. Kyle's what two pages, three pages, and yeah, he flies into the sun, but he doesn't say a lot. The Flash has very little to do. He just runs Nightwing and Robin into some action at one point. Um, I do really love the Batman and Superman Vandal Savage scene. I think that's great. I love that. I think it's a really nice world's finest moment. <laughs> but- uh, uh, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point. Like Because maybe I'm, I'm judging it on the basis of it being a JLA book, uh, which it technically isn't. Hmm. And you know, Marvel has a ton of uh, a ton of like D and and G and M list characters, um, but I, I don't know. I think maybe I had more of a familiarity with the wider universe, whereas I think with DC, I've always felt that like their main characters are incredible, but some of their more supporting heroes are l- much less memorable. And, and this does feel like a kind of, oh, this is a, a C-list adventure in terms of, like, the cast sort of thing. Yeah. Although, like, the Ray, always happy to see the Ray. <laughs> yeah, and I actually really like the Ray's storyline that's going to carry on into the other issues of this and, and what they do with him at this point. I think it's really, there's some really good stuff there. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it is an odd one for sure. It, it's interesting that, you know, if you're doing a story about the sun going out, it certainly makes sense to kind of bring someone like the Ray to the forefront of, of, of that because so many DC characters are more kind of... Um, they're, they're iconic in, a, in, in the idea that like they're almost like avatars. You know, like the Flash is speed. Green Lantern is creativity. The Ray is light. You know, Starman is... A star, you know, I'd be like, oh, it'd be interesting. Like, I would have thought that, I don't know, Starman would have played a big deal or played a big part in this. Or maybe mm. like the Ray, although, you know, I, I'm reading this one issue at a time, so maybe we will see more of the Ray. It's just very odd to suddenly have like Pharaoh be here. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, uh, you know, Pharaoh, as I say, would then be sort of. Uh, 
part of the Legion story in the Superman books in the months after this. Mm. Um, but it is a, a weird place to introduce him. Although I've just been flicking through the book, and yeah, Pharaoh does sort of have some key moments in a few future issues. But again, they were sort of to set him up as he's one of our next big characters. <laughs> this this reboot of a character who <laughs> already existed. And I don't think that ever really came off. Now, I don't want to be, um, you know, too critical on, against the kind of creative team because there's, there's really nothing, like, wrong with this story. It's, it's maybe just, you know, for me personally, it's maybe lacking a slight spark at this point, which which would really kind of excite me. Um, but you mentioned that, is it uh, Carl Kessel, the, yes. uh, the writer, did uh, quite a well-received um, Captain America uh, series of stories done yes. in the style of like 1940s kind of serials. Yeah, as if they've been newspaper strips from the the 40s. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I can see that style working because I because I, I think um, you know there's a certain like with the wordplay and like the movement between panels. Sometimes it's very like um, it feels quite retro. I can I can see this writing style really suiting something that's like a period piece, something that's being set like in the forties, in the kind of like swashbuckling, patriotic kind of punch a Nazi kind of era. Hmm. And yeah. again, I don't mean that as a criticism. I wonder if um, this is one of those things which would be better served by reading more of the tie-ins as well. Like I can think of some crossovers like. Uh, Civil War, I think, if you're going back to Marvel, that is one where if you read the main series on its own, it's quite good, mm. but it's not as good as as people sort of hold it up to be and remember it to be, in my opinion. But I think if you read it with a lot of the tie-ins in there, that expands the story really well, and that makes it into an event worth reading. And I wonder if... I don't know. I've never gone and, and looked for any of the Final Night tie-ins, other than the one we'll get to in a couple of episodes' time that is in this book. Mm. Um I've never seeked them out and read them, so I don't know if that would be the case. But I wonder if it is improved by reading not all, that's never a good idea, but some of the tie-ins. Perhaps, indeed. And I I think um, it's, it's funny, like, if um, if this had been a Marvel event, I could totally... It's funny, like, I can totally just picture, like, the Spider-Man tie-in. That's really weird. Like, in my head, all I can see is, like, um, you know, uh, oh, it's... Final night, colon, Spider-Man. And, mm. you know, um, him, like, uh, doing just doing stuff in New York and, like, you know, kind of helping people. Maybe there's, like, a little villain to deal with. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to... It would be interesting to kind of know how this kind of impacted the wider yeah. DC universe at the time. Of course, having said that, we did read a few more of the times with DC 1 million, and other than the Resurrection Man one, they were all pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing. Like, I know, um, obviously... We, we we greatly praise Morrison. Um, heck, I mean, it's the entire reason we're doing this show. But uh, it, it does go to show that, like, it's very hard to do a big event book. And, you know, even Morrison kind of stumbled a few times. Like, um, yeah. uh, one DC 1 million had moments of greatness, also had a few problems. And um, I, I think we'd both agree that Final Crisis is, a, is, is well, it's, um, it's Final Crisis. It's, 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 very, yeah. it's very odd. It has its fans, but I really don't like Final Crisis at all. <laughs> I, 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 I would still, 
I would still put on a pedestal the Superman Beyond two-parter. I know I rave about it, but yeah. I, I do think that is a very good, a very good kind of Morrison story, having fun with Superman. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, but yeah, PJ, um, it's. I have like a, a bit of an inkling of what's coming up. Like I've, you know, I've tried to enjoy this one issue at a time, just to kind of keep the suspense going. I know what's coming. I think there are some things which I am quite looking forward to. I would say. Well, I think the title of the only not the only tie-in issue they reprint is a giveaway as to one of the things that's coming <laughs> up. But we're not going to spoil it here in case you are reading along and haven't looked at that part of the book no uh, no that's fair it's fair we're going to try and keep the suspense going as long as we can for this series which is uh 26 yep 26 years old maybe yep oh, uh, God. yeah but no and i i i don't know i i just think clearly morrison's work made an impact because you know we we talked about it at length but like i can kind of see at this point why something like Morrison's JLA was needed. Like, yeah. it needed a shot in the arm, I think. Yeah, I think, it, in a weird way, I'd compare Final Night to, um, if I was looking at a Marvel event to compare it to, obviously the structure of it's quite different, but maybe Onslaught, mm. in that I have a soft spot for a lot of what happened and a lot of the stuff that went down with Onslaught, but there's also a lot of stuff in Onslaught that you really could just go, eh, do without that, <laughs> do without that, about. It was a funny era, wasn't it? For, for like, I, I'm, I'm the same. I have a bizarre soft spot for the Onslaught saga, mm. uh, mostly because it was the moment I started reading uh, kind of, just contemporary comics like um yeah having gone from like watching the x-men cartoon to picking up random issues of x-men and like what the hell is happening and you know this is big and yeah. all the heroes are dying it's like it, it it felt like a big event but yeah there's there's a lot of bloat and it's it's quite yeah. messy to be honest also onslaught was my first exposure to the avengers in the comics so <gasps> oh god yes same point yes yes exactly same for me yeah, that issue of Uncanny X-Men where they turn up at the X-Mansion. I was like, oh, I know these people. That's Captain America and Iron Man. What is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, God. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like, Onslaught... I, I, in, part of the reason I have like a meta appreciation for Onslaught is because whether they intended it or not, or whether they were aware of it at the time, it was like a a real paradigm shift because mm. you know onslaught was like drawing a line under like 30 years of comics continuity it uh you know bec that was the end of volume one of marvel um you then you had heroes reborn the short-lived volume two uh <laughs> and you don't get to kurt Busick and george perez uh, with avengers volume three if not for letting rob layfield do that to captain america that's true. That is true. <laughs> I, I, it is such a weird time, you know. And and over, you know, maybe there was something in the air, kind of around nineteen ninety six or whatever, because you know, Marvel and DC must have both felt, you know, the wind was changing. Yeah, yeah. And you draw a line straight from Fatal Attraction through to then the end of Onslaught and Heroes Reborn, and 
that is quite a fun period to revisit. There's a lot of terrible stuff in there, but in terms of 90s Marvel comics, X-Men in particular, and then branching out into Avengers and stuff, there's there's some really bad, you know, The Crossing. You know, my first comic with Iron Man in it, Iron Man was a teenage version of himself from an alternate reality. What were you thinking, Marvel? And yet, you, if you didn't have The Crossing... He said, bringing it full circle, you would arguably not have needed to tell Avengers Forever. True. To fix Mark, to fix Avengers continuity. And we probably wouldn't have gotten my favorite Kang the Conqueror story of all time, which came in the yep. middle of Avengers Forever, which I still love dearly. Uh, damn it. There are good things about the crossing. That's annoying. <laughs> hey, hey, PJ, and there's there's good things about Final Night. There are, there are, and I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying revisiting it. Yeah, it's not, not blowing me away. It's not, I don't love it, but I've got a soft spot for it, and I'm enjoying it. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I, I certainly don't want to be too negative. It's just, you know, it's, it's greatest sin is that it's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. even, it's not even terrible, which would make it easier to get angry about i suppose <laughs> yeah yeah uh but yeah pj have we is is there anything left to say about the pharaoh casks <laughs> um nothing about final night i do just want to give one quick shout out to uh my friend uh dan mitchell who is a comedian in the south wales area hi dan i know you're listening um he has taken umbrage at the way we pronounce uh the word Amazo rather yeah. than Amazo on this podcast. I'm just going to say now, if it was supposed to be pronounced Amazo, there'd be any e in it. I um, I'm not really familiar with this character he's describing, Amazo. Like, um, it just, it, <laughs> I, I've got a pretty encyclopedic understanding of DC continuity, and I just don't <laughs> think that character's ever really popped up. No, no. Whereas uh, Amazo, the android created by the Amazons with the powers of all the Justice League, you know, we all know about him. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, every I mean, look, look at all the great the great instances. We had uh, Amazo fighting Aztec. Uh, we had Amazo fighting the entire league and arguably the greatest Mark Miller story uh, he's ever written. Um, any more Amazos? Amazo, Amazo, Amazo. Uh, no, I think that's all the Amazo we've had in, in yeah, the series so it. far. Yeah, uh, we do get an Amazo in JLA Avengers, which we will be visiting. Yep, so sorry, Dan, we're going to be saying Amazo again then. <laughs> it's, it's, I know it's supposed to be Amazo, <laughs> I just prefer Amazo. <laughs> it's, it's ingrained at this point. Like, they, I, I passed a critical window for learning how to pronounce it correctly, and it's always just going to be Amazo now. Yeah, I know. You, know you, you learn something wrong as a child, and then it just stays wrong for the rest of your life, even when you know it should be something else. I don't delight in hurting you. It's, it's, it's not it's not personal i assure you it just uh it just happens you know yep you know like um the the super adaptoid as well just you know a uh, uh, super adaptoid oh that's sorry here being an idiot this the, the super adaptoidy uh which is one of my favorite uh avengers uh enemies oh we're terrible I have a degree of um, I have a I have an announcement uh, for our listeners uh, before before we end the episode, PJ. Um, 
now, now there will be a moment of uh, of discomfort, a moment of inconvenience for you all. But uh, we are still going to be releasing these uh, these episodes uh, kind of bi-weekly. bi-weekly, fortnightly. Yeah, bi-weekly, yeah. fortnightly, bi- same thing. Bi-weekly. Uh, however, we are going to be shunting our release schedule uh, out by one week, if that makes sense. So. After this episode comes out, there is going to be uh, a slightly longer wait for the next episode. It's going to be a three-week delay. And then we will continue with our kind of bi-weekly schedule from that point onwards. Um, I do apologize. Uh, this is mostly for my benefit um, because um, my other show, a show called Hate, has recently had to jump out of sync, which now means uh, out by a week, which now means I'm currently having to edit two podcasts a week rather than one. And uh, it's proving a bit of a strain on my uh, fingers uh, on the keyboard. So, yeah, it would basically, it, it would make my life immeasurably easier if we could be doing one podcast a week. So I do apologise. I've already I've already um, run this by PJ, and after his anger abated, he was very understanding. So uh, I do apologise for any inconvenience. Yeah, John's just going to get some booby traps in the mail from me that when he opens them will hurt him. But, John you know. is John is just lazy. I think I think that's the only <laughs> the only real takeaway from this. That is the crux. That's that's yeah. <laughs> uh PJ, um with with that little announcement out of the way, uh and I'm assuming we've 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 ticked all the boxes here. Is is there anything else you'd like to talk about or bring attention to? My Star Trek podcast, The Measure of a Fan, is about to go on hiatus. We are about to finish season three. As you listen to this, if you're listening to it the day it comes out, uh, the final episode of our third season is dropping the same week on Wednesday, where we finally finish looking at the Zindi arc. My brother is thoroughly enjoying his first ever (laughs) viewing of Star Trek, starting with Enterprise, the lucky guy. Um, I think it's, it's worth... Worth going back a couple of episodes and, and listening to the 22nd episode of the se- season. Uh, yeah, because we made the mistake of recording that on the evening of the 4th of November and um, trying to do an outro while a fireworks display is going <laughs> on just outside your window is, let's say, difficult. But I recommend you check it out. Uh, PJ, you could have you could have just said it was adding a, a degree of uh, immersion. You know, they, they were they, it was Klingons attacking or something, something to that effect. <laughs> <laughs> we went with something else. Um, but my, uh, I, I, I don't really have an announcement that's anywhere near as exciting, other than um, if uh, if you backed the after I think ten year anniversary Kickstarter, I backed that. P- PJ did. Yes, uh, we are very, uh, very, very close to fulfilling. Uh, the surveys have gone out. The pre order score is still active. Um, I'm moving. Uh, a great many boxes to various locations around the world. It's it's um, it's, a, it's a fun logistical experience, and soon, soon they will actually be going out into the hands of people. So we're going to start shipping uh, in December. So yeah, very excited, very excited, and thank you to Ooh. you, thank you for your patience, everyone. Ooh, a lovely Christmas present for us all. That's the plan. Well, for you, PJ, you know, it'll be hand delivered by um, um. Uh, uh, your minions minions amazing minions basically <laughs> uh but yes i i guess if we if we if we have said everything that is possibly to be said about final night i guess i should say a massive thank you to gav mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork and to elliot red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune justice and pj if you wouldn't mind would you mind seeing us off in your own unique fashion yeah make sure you listen to the next episode folks it's gonna be amazing 